The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the ninth chapter. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain, apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man any more, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In case it gets lost in the words that follow, here is the basic point of my sermon today. God is in control and he is redeeming all things for his purposes, even those things that seem out of control or look like abject failures. You know, if a pastor does that, he's worried that what he's about to say may not make sense. So, if nothing else, you've gotten a thesis statement, all right? But sometimes, of course, it seems like things are out of our control. For example, I've learned recently a new vocabulary phrase. It's called bad beats. Some of you sports fans may know it. It's in the everyday sports fan language now. It has to do with gambling which is more and more legal and apparently more and more common. A bad beat is when someone looks like they're going to win a lot of money on a game, but at the very last minute, something crazy and unexpected happens that causes them to lose the the money or the bet. So an example, let's say there's a basketball team, and they were picked to win the game by Vegas and bookies and whatnot by nine points. And as time is quickly running down the clock, they have the ball. And their point guard is just dribbling the ball to let the time expire. The game is long out of reach. The other team can't win. They've given up, etc., etc. But then the point guard inexplicably bounces the ball off his foot, which would happen to me like every other time, but for a professional it's very rare. And it goes into the hands of someone on the other team and never being shy about padding their own stats, even in garbage time. They run down the court to their basket, put in an easy layup, and now the lead, which was 10, is now only, sports fans, yeah, eight. But what did I say they were picked to win by? Nine. Ah, you see, it doesn't mean anything to anybody except everyone who bet on the game because they bet May, they might have bet that one team would win or lose, but usually you bet on the, the line, right? The, 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 the point line. So everyone who 
picked them to beat the spread lost, and everyone who picked them to lose the spread won, blah, blah, blah. And all because of a completely meaningless event that had no bearing on the outcome of winning or losing. That's called a bad beat. And, and those sorts of things tell me two things. One is you shouldn't gamble. Okay. Number two, we're not in control of as much as we like. I mean, you could have researched that game for hours and hours and hours and known who was not going to play because they were sick and who wasn't who was not going to play well because they had food poisoning the day before and how this guy did against the zone defense and how this guy did against man-to-man. And, 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 and you could have known all, and this team is on a back-to-back with two road games in a row. You could have gone into that game with all of that knowledge and basically gotten the bet right. And then all of a sudden, the guy bounces the ball off his foot and everything, all the research you did, is it's out of your control. It's meaningless. Now, I'm sure that the big guys, you know, the big bettors, they have a way of hedging against those kinds of once-in-a-thousand anomalies. But for a lot of people, these meaningless little mistakes, they'll cost them big money. Control in the outcome of anything, much less a sports bet, it's something that we all want. I mean, we're all kind of control freaks in one way or another about something or other. We want to know that a, a business proposal will be accepted or succeed. We want to know that our kids are going to thrive when they grow up. We want to know what our spouse is up to. We want to know the economy will improve. Of course, some of that can get unhealthy, right? We might try to manipulate outcomes, threaten people, lie or cheat to, so that what we want to happen can happen. Now, of course, we know as Christians we ought not to threaten people or manipulate people to get what we want. So great is our need for control. We, we know that we are to live in service of others. That doesn't mean we toler- tolerate abuse or dishonesty, but, but we don't seek control in relationships. We look for ways to serve. And certainly if that was the modus operandi of everybody, we'd see a whole lot more peace and love uh, on earth, right? But one of the main reasons that people sort of doubt the existence of God is that it looks like things are always spiraling out of control. All right, life is mysterious. You know, the good die young. Nations go to war with one another. Tragedies occur. Crops give way to plagues of locusts. In our time, we see dramatic social unrest that has pitted people who used to be friends with one another. Now they're enemies. A virus has become a massive point of contention in our society and you know we might wonder people might wonder where is God in all of this why do things seem to be getting worse and worse if we can't have control well we at least want God to have control or at least enough control to you know keep things on the rails to to, to help things work out and when things aren't working out we wonder then where's God Well, you see, God is sovereign in the world, contrary to what we might think. We're not. God is. God really is working out all things to his will and purpose and design, contrary to what it might look like from time to time. You see, you're not privy to God's purposes or his methods or even his end goal. You are called to trust that God is righteous and just and that he has not abandoned us 
even if it looks like he has, even if it seems like we are surrounded by godless and evil people. Paul tells us that God knows who those people are. In fact, that is part of God's plan. That's really the controversial statement that not many Christians want to even hear or believe. You see, evildoers, people who reject God, they're not a mystery to God. And so Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, our reading from that today, it touches on this. And even in some verses before our reading today, it speaks to this as well. So I want to look at some there. But first, we need to revisit this idea of veiling to begin with, which goes all the way back to when Moses went on the mountain in the Old Testament, and he was in the presence of God. And you might recall that that God is so glorious that Moses just being in the presence of God, when he came off the mountain, his face shone. He, he radiated. It's exactly what the transfiguration was. The glory of God was so great that, that the, the clothes were dazzling white and there was an aura of glory. And this terrified the Israelites. You, you would think that it's like, oh man, here's Moses. He's our guy. He went up to the mountain. He talked to God and wow, his face is shining white. Moses, come have a drink with me. No, it wasn't like that. It was like, Moses, put something on your head. You're too shiny. I can't tolerate this, this glory. And Paul says that the Israelites were judged for that. And he says in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, he says that to this very day, when they read the Old Covenant, that is the Hebrews, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, wherever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, you can't understand Moses. The veil is still there unless you trust in Christ. Christ interprets Moses for you. Christ makes sense of the world for you, in fact. In Christ, we can understand God. In Christ, the veil is lifted. God is, God is more clear to us. We understand God more. We also have freedom and trust in God. So even though life does indeed present us with hardships and mysteries, we trust that God is redeeming it. As Christians, we can place our trust in Christ for that to be taking place. That isn't the case for those who do not trust in Christ. Life remains a mystery. The veil is still there. They can't understand the Old Testament, much less anything else. Paul says in our reading today, just in case you think the world is going to you-know-what in a handbasket and God's not doing anything about it, just in case you think God is totally ignorant of all the craziness around us, listen to what Paul says. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. It's really an amazing passage. You know, so often we, we think of those who have rejected the gospel as, you know, a kind of tragedy that we can do something about. Maybe we think we can reason with them. Maybe they think if they only hear this argument or that, and, and by the way, I'm not opposed to making such arguments, but maybe if we just make some, such and such argument, they'll become a follower of Christ. But I think Paul is saying something else is going on. 
There is a rejection of the goodness of God. There is a veil over their eyes. They don't want God to be real. They don't want God to exist because they've been blinded by the God of this world. Why do unbelievers not believe? Because they're terrified of God. The glory of God, the goodness of God, they hate it. It must be covered with a veil because to know the goodness of God is to owe your life to God. To know the love of God is to know a a great love that you can't just walk away from. To know the holiness of God is to know that there are demands on your life that can no longer be ignored. And to know the power of God is to know that you don't have control over your own life. That's terrifying. That is terrifying. Well, the transfiguration is a wonderful thing because the veil is lifted. When Jesus is transfigured in glory, the same kind of glory that Moses had when he came off the mountain, he was offering access. Uh, it's like getting behind the paywall on a website. He is, uh, but not, not a good example. He is offering access to the God of the universe, a, a God that you don't have to be afraid of. He is saying, it's okay if you lose control or if you realize your debt to God. I am safe. I am holy, yes, but I am also here with you. And if you trust in me, then you will see how all things will be redeemed. Yes, God knows what he's doing. Even when some reject him, he has allowed this to take place. It's not a sign that God is not in control. Even that is under his purview. It's just the reality that God has allowed some to place a veil over their face because they cannot stand in the presence of God, so deep is their fear and hatred of him. Let us not be such people, but rather worship the God who is transfigured before his own disciples, who is saying, the need for the veil is gone. You do not need to be afraid, because I have come to save. Amen.